Welcome to Between the Shelves, the premier Seville Library podcast. And what an episode we have for you today. It is the special Oscar episode. The 95th Academy Awards are right around the corner. And I brought in three of my fellow movie buffs at the library. Uh, I'm joined today by Sean. Hey. (laughs) Chuck. Hello. And Rachel. Hey there. I pretty much grabbed the half of the patron services department and our best children's page to uh, <laughs> to record this episode here today. So I am super, super excited. Uh, I hope everyone else is excited, too. Oh, yeah. Super oh, yeah. excited. If there's one thing I love talking about, it is film. So let's get into it. We're recording this two weeks before, but this episode is going to come out right before the Oscars. All the nominees are obviously announced. I think, has everyone here seen all the Best Picture nominees or most of them? Absolutely not. No, okay, that's I have. Half. I've seen about half. That means you have to leave. I'm sorry. Oh. <laughs> well, two halves make a whole, so we'll be okay. Uh, yeah, perfect. Yeah. I watched the last of the ten last night, so I just got under the wire. As did I. Okay. So let's go through the Best Picture nominees this year, and then uh, later on in the episode, we'll talk about some of our personal favorite movies of the year, because those don't always line up. So let's start. I'm just going to go alphabetically through it. The first one is All Quiet on the Western Front. This is a film from Germany. It's also nominated for Best International Film. Um, It's a remake of a remake of a book. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, it's about three young friends who eagerly enlist in the German army in search of some kind of romantic idea of heroism. And they are faced when they get to the front lines of the horrors of World War One, basically. So not a family film, not very upbeat movie. I saw it. Did anyone else have a chance to see this one? Yes, I did. did. You did see it. Oh, great. Everyone saw it. What do you think? I loved it. I did like it a lot, too. I liked it. Having not seen the other remakes, or the original, or the book, I liked it. You didn't see the book? No, I didn't see, no, I didn't see the book. Okay. I'm a big war picture fan, so yeah. I liked it. I thought it was cool that it was from a German point of view, because I feel like everything is very westernized, and so sure. it was from the Americans' view of it, so I thought that was a cool take. Yeah, I love this movie. I thought it was shot brilliantly. Like, it looks beautiful. Um, this is prob. I've said this when the movie came out. This is my favorite war movie since Saving Private Ryan. Like this is like the best war movie I've seen in years. Really? What about 1917? I think it was better than 1917. That's what it reminded Dunkirk. me. Of. Was Dunkirk. I liked it more than Dunkirk. I liked. I liked both of those movies, but I think this was just on a higher level. I think. Really. This movie had like it had heart. This movie just felt different it felt like it's like an anti- every war movie is an anti-war movie really but this one felt more encompassing i don't know because you get to see before the the main characters are involved in the war and you get to see them all the way through like literally all the way through the war like the entire experience i don't know it just felt like grand i just felt like it was i don't know just felt like epic to me i think you're right about the cinematography and the sound that was the big takeaway sure. from that film too I know we're going to talk about Top Gun later, but you mentioned films that are traditionally anti-war, and I felt like there was an interesting parallel between those two films, and there's some other films that also like kind of parallel one another, but um, those two in particular stood out to me, because Top Gun 
it didn't feel like an anti-war film to me. Yeah, it felt um, like a very pro-war. Well, Top Gun is also like, nominated for Best Picture, so we're yes, going to get to so it. We'll get back we'll to get that. We'll get back to that. Yeah. All right. So All Quiet on the Western Front, uh, definitely see that. And I have a, a little bit of uh, a trivia with this movie. So this is the fifth year in a row at the Oscars that an international film has also been nominated for Best Picture. Hmm. So does anyone know the other four movies that were nominated for Best Picture in the last four years? International film? Parasite. Parasite. Uh, Belf. No, it's not, no, it's not international. I have no idea. That's the only one. That was Parasite. It's Parasite, Roma. Uh, yeah, Roma. Drive My Car, which was last year's, and Minari. Oh, that was with um, that was Stephen Ewan. Stephen Ewan. Ewan. That surprises me. I did not think that it was an international film. According to my research, it was. So I, I got up to double check my uh, where I got my information <laughs> from. Sure check yeah. your sources. Okay. Like where edited. <laughs> if it's wrong. Okay. All right. So moving on. Next movie, Best Picture nominee, Avatar: The Way of Water. This is the only movie I saw in theaters this year. I haven't been to the theaters in three years, and I tried to. I needed to see all the Best Picture nominees before the Oscars, and this one is. I, I didn't think was going to be streaming in time so i dragged myself to the theaters to see this one i didn't really like it to be honest it was okay i didn't see it but i didn't like the first one so that i think was a reason why i just didn't want to go see it and it isn't it like over three hours long yeah it is i had no interest in sitting down for an over three hour long movie like that it is over three hours and uh this is a point i'm going to be making many times in this episode uh this movie was way too long, and it is not the only movie this applies to, but this one was egregiously long. Like, they could have cut an hour from this movie, and nothing would have been lost. Really? That said, it was a visual spectacle, but it was not worth the massive headache it gave me from wearing 3D glasses for three hours. You saw it in 3D. Yeah. You were committed. You had to. They, I don't think it was available in 2D when I saw it. I saw it in 2D. Yeah. Oh, you did? Yeah, I don't feel like the 3D added anything. I saw the original in 3D, and at the time, that was like a big deal. It was like one of the first major yeah. 3D, and I never felt like it added anything no. to the experience at all. The gimmick wears off very quickly, yeah. and then you're stuck wearing these stupid plastic. <laughs> I feel like it got a lot of hype because I know that they developed new technology to film underwater, and it like a lot of the special effects like was real because it wasn't there... Weren't they swimming a lot in this one? Oh, yeah. So, apparently that's all real. And um, Kate Winslet, like, trained herself to swim underwater for over seven minutes. Without, that water. Without taking a breath. Yes. That's like, she broke the record that was previously held, I think, by Tom Cruise. Oh, wow. Of course. Of course. Of course it was Tom Cruise. <laughs> um, so, yeah, they had to, like, make, like, new cameras and new gear. And that's why the movie took so long to, to come out until, until now. That's fascinating to hear because the entire movie is CGI. I was I'm shocked to hear that there was anything not CGI in that movie. And all the water was real, and they had cameras go underwater, and they had to make them because they, they put needed the green special, screens underwater. The actually they were blue screens, which was a bigger problem because I read online that the people that were working the CGI had a gripe with James Cameron because the people were blue, and then the screens were blue. So it was hard to yeah. key out the blue. If that's that's a film term, so I went yeah. to I went to film school. <laughs> that's how you learned. I just wanted to flex that. That's how you earned your spot. At this <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> uh, Any other thoughts on Avatar? 
I I thought it was a lot of fun. Um, I do think the length was a major issue. I understand why, like, the first, I want to say, half hour to 40 minutes had to be the way it was, but for the same reason that I think I would consider this a criticism of the movie, it, it the, the length of time between the original film and this film played against it, because... Sure. And I don't understand the hype around this franchise. They talk about it like it's on the same level as, like, Star Wars, Marvel, Marvel. Star Wars, and it seems to me more like it's a, like a cult film. Like it's just sure, like a small yeah. following. Went to the film. I enjoyed it. Thought it was fun. But I, you know, I'll never watch it again. I think it's because it's a big technological feat. That's why people love it. Because back in 2009 when the first one came out, you never really saw a movie like that before. Um, I mean, it's an average story. But I think the computer effects were just far beyond its time and that's why i think they still gravitated i i will say i don't want to knock avatar mm-hmm. around but no. i think the visuals are you know head and shoulders above any other movie that came out this year like the cgi is unparalleled i, I think and that is enough to see it in theaters why it you know people are still obsessed with avatar years later i can't explain because it's a garbage story <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean the characters are nice and fun. I like I I remember them, but I I'll never I don't know their names. Yeah, couldn't tell you their names. I remember what they were going through. I remember their experiences, yeah. which is something that I can forget about watching other films. But I do remember the technology being the major selling point of this franchise yeah. because it was for like years back. I remember hearing like he's in a submarine underwater, and that was like a big deal at the time. I'm like, oh, they're getting ready for that film. It's coming out in ten years, mm-hmm. but. It's because James Cameron's ego is massive. <laughs> the size of the Titanic, some might Literally. Say. Uh, is 25th anniversary, by the way. I did see that. Yeah, it's, yeah I think it's actually out still. Because Avatar The Way of Water was the third highest grossing movie, and then that got overtaken by Titanic As the next it day. should happen. James Cameron can make a blockbuster. I mean, oh, he. Yeah. It, it's a, it is a fun movie. I will say that it's just way too long. Yeah. He's the top three highest grossing films of all time or just the top two? Well, I think he's three top, of the top well, four. Marvel beat them. Marvel beat with, them. Endgame. Avatar, Avatar 2, Titanic. Then I, I think Avatar 1 is the top movie and then Endgame is the second. And then either The Way of Water and Titanic, they're tied for third or fourth. Yeah. So out of the top four, so, he has three. Which, he, so he's the king of the blockbuster. Yeah, but also, really when you release a movie that's mainly in 3D and there's not that many showings in 2D... The ticket sales go up. They cost more money. Uh-huh. He makes yeah. more money. There's a lot that plays in there. Yes. I agree. So. All right. Well, that's buttoning up uh, Avatar. Let us never speak of it until the third film, which we'll all have to in be forced to see. Yeah. No, actually in two years. Well, now they have the... It's uh, already, yeah, they've already shot it. Really? Yeah, it's already, it's already... And now it's two years of CGI, and then they'll put it out. Yeah. Okay. Moving on. Another uh, upbeat movie here. Banshees of Inner Sheeran. Oh. And this is going to be the first divisive movie, I think, in the group. Um, I personally really like this movie. I'm probably alone at this table thinking that. You're not. I liked it. You did like yes, it? Yes, I did like mm-hmm. it. That's it, interesting. Okay. Yeah, it was weird and very depressing. Yeah. Well, let me, before we go on, let me explain to people who yes. aren't familiar what, what it actually is. So here's the description that I, that I uh, wrote up. Uh, two lifelong friends find themselves at an impasse when one abruptly ends their relationship with alarming consequences for the both of them. That's like the very general plot synopsis. Yeah, so sorry. Go ahead. Finish your... You were going to say uh, it was weird. It was weird. 
kind of a downer, but I liked it for some reason. I don't, I can't really put my finger on it. Maybe it's because I like Colin Farrell a lot. I don't know, but I thought it was a cool movie. A little dark. Well, a lot dark. A lot dark. A lot dark. I think the performances in this movie, pound for pound, is just the best acting really, in of any movie this year. With the exception of a movie we're going to get to later on. But I thought all the performances were fantastic. I thought uh, Colin Farrell's great. His first Oscar nomination, which I was surprised to learn. Gleason, uh, Brendan Gleason, who plays uh, the other lead, he was great in it. Uh, Carrie Condon, who plays the S- Colin Farrell's sister in the movie. I thought it was phenomenal. She was really good in that. So every scene she was in, I was just glued to my screen. I felt um, like she made the movie like better than it could have been. I think if she wasn't I, in it. I think the performances yeah. elevated this movie. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah. And then lastly, Barry... Cohan. Cohan. He was also got a nomination for supporting yes. actor. He's great. He's. I'm glad he's finally getting like a breakout role because he's been good in everything i've ever seen him in but he's finally getting like recognition now um from the academy at least and uh yeah i thought the performances are great it is a bit of a downer it's a little weird chuck i know you pointed out some uh, a theme of the movie that i didn't even pick up on when i watched it about the uh well, you took me yeah so sitting through the movie i'm sitting there wondering like what what is the point of this whole thing and um you'll notice throughout the film in the background there was a war going on I guess because the movie was so dull that my mind was drifting and I kind of forgot that the war was going on. But by the end of the movie, I'm sitting there going, okay, what's the point? And I had to look it up. And they said that the relationship between the two characters, uh, the two leads, is supposed to be a metaphor for the war and how it basically is like, we don't really know why it started and they don't really explain it. And there's all sorts of nonsense that happens in between. And by the end, there really is no resolution. And that was essentially what happened during what I believe they said was called the Irish Civil War mm-hmm. during the events of the film. And I've never heard of the Irish Civil War. I don't know what it's about. And I still didn't care by the end of it. So um, <laughs> I, the timing of it felt weird because I, I don't feel like, I guess if we knew what that war was about, maybe that would add to the movie. Mm-hmm. But and like why it's relevant to right now, like why, why right now did you release this film? Um, I don't know if that's always the case. Well, some would say America is sort of going through another civil war right now. Chuck, does that make you reassess Banshees of Inner Sheeran? No, no, no. I, well, I always think about that first, especially with the Academy, because they're known to they'll make their statements. But I, I didn't. I guess because it wasn't like a literal parallel to us. Like nobody was storming any capitals. There wasn't anybody yeah. saying any particular slogans or wearing certain hats or anything like that. Um, it just was just two friends who were just in a feud. I don't know. I, I felt like the yeah. clarity could have been better with the film. And yeah, it's not, it, it wasn't clear. I, I agree. Yeah, the, the themes are kind of masked a little bit. And uh, it's not for everyone, especially if you're not like... It's a very it's a character-driven movie, I know. It's like my catchphrase, I know, when I talk about movies. But um, I think if you want to like this movie, you have to like Colin Farrell's character or Kelly Condon's character like you have to like like them that that's what sells this movie not the plot necessarily i have nothing against their performances i thought everyone was really great especially the sister she also was someone i was she nominated i think she was and i think i just kind of threw her on the list i mean she i feel like she should she should have been if she wasn't yeah Yeah, absolutely um like when she was the scene with her in the bar she was Mm -hmm. she was flipping out screaming at colin farrell's character when he was drunk 
that scene yeah. was really good. Yeah, that was my favorite scene too, where Colin Farrell's kind of giving it to uh for, to Gleason in the pub. Yeah. All right. Rachel, did you see it? I did not see it. Okay. I'm not going to offer much. It was a conversation. <laughs> okay. Did you see Elvis? I did. What did you think of Elvis? I loved Elvis. You did. Are you an Elvis fan? In general, you know. You don't like hate it. Elvis. I don't hate him. I don't love him. It's Elvis, you know. Okay. You know. But I thought the costumes were amazing. Yeah. And the set design and everything visually about that, I think, should should win. Um, you know, best hair and makeup, best whatever else is out there. Yeah, I, I thought the costumes were great. I thought the production was great. I'm not a, a, a huge Elvis fan myself, but um, I thought it was, you know, like the concerts I thought were great. Yeah. The rest of the movie I, I could have definitely passed on, but I thought like the production of the actual concerts was, was fun. Like I enjoyed that. Even as somebody who's not a huge Elvis fan, I thought right. that was fun. And the costumes are phenomenal. Yeah. I think that it's going to have its, a run for its money with... You know the Marvel movies like Black Panther and everything, but um, I think it has a shot. I mean, it's it was very visually impressive. Right. Yeah, I agree. I don't think you have to be a big Elvis fan to like the movie. It was just like a fun movie. It wasn't. I mean, his life was tragic, and you know everyone knows that. Yeah. yeah. My I guess my problems with the movie is I, I really disliked Tom Hanks's character. I think that was a very poor showing by good old Tom. I completely agree with you. I wanted him to shut up the whole movie. I felt like he never stopped talking. Yeah. And I love Tom Hanks. Yeah, Tom Hanks is a great actor. I just don't think he can do voices very well. Uh, accents, I mean. And uh, the fat suit just made him look like a Batman villain. It was just so comical. <laughs> um, yeah, and like there was the whole... In the beginning of the movie, they had like a rap song drop. I was like, what is happening right now? Like, I don't know, It just felt like very weird. That's uh, So Baz Luhrmann, who's the director directed uh the great gatsby and that's also a movie that used a lot of modern music even though it's a period piece yeah. right. that's like his kind of like thing to do so you kind of know that it's a Baz Luhrmann film i find it to be a little odd i feel like it very kinda, i feel like it kind of takes you out of it a bit i laughed out loud which I is like, not what they were going I mean, for i like the remix of the song i think it slaps However, is that a millennial reference? Is that a Gen Z reference? Yes, it slaps. It's also a big song on TikTok. Okay. Um, because it's with Doja Cat, I believe. Um, and the song's good, but it doesn't work in the film. I was also thinking of Great Gatsby when you said the rap thing, having not known who that guy was mm-hmm. at all. I remember reading that um he does that because if he had done the traditional music in Gatsby like what would have been at the time people might not understand it but if he does a rap song something that's like modern people understand what it felt like sure to be like oh sense. i know yeah, this song and now now they know like the feeling that they're supposed to feel i don't know if that really justifies it because i don't necessarily hear rap and think like wow this is my slap <laughs> this is my slap no it's no this song slaps you don't oh, say okay. this is my slap okay. i just go back like five generations yeah for sure <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Hundo P. Is that like 100? 100%? 100%. Mm-hmm. Look at me go. We bring Sean in for the youth uh, perspective on these films. I work in kids and I'm the one. They always come to me for all the slang, That's all the terms. Because yeah, no one else knows it. I do though. I do think, going back to Elvis, I do think the strength was in the nostalgia. Um, for me personally, my grandmother is obsessed with Elvis. Hi, Grandma. This might, she'll probably kill me for admitting this, but she 
told me once that she threw her bra at the TV when Elvis was on there. I love that for her. So I was, so I've always had this perception of Elvis, and I feel like they they sort of captured that in his first like debut song when he was at that right. Kentucky Fair, whatever it was. And I I went and asked her. I was like, did they really react that way when he first like just first time on the stage, just immediately start singing, and the women started going crazy, and then we're like, sit down. <laughs> I was like, did that, was that really the reaction? Um, so that kind of, I, I don't know what to make of that whole thing, but I, I felt like it was um, rushed, the film, too. I felt like they were hitting the checklist of like all the highlights in his life. They did um, his start from when he was in that weird like town in the middle of nowhere, and he yeah. ran into that church, and then suddenly he's at a derby, and then he's famous, then he's on drugs, and then he's doing protests, and whatever. So... Um, I actually thought for all the long films we had this year that it actually could have gone longer if they had dragged it out and it could have been more character piece. Um, but I also think it, it was kind of in the shadow of all those other biopics of all these musicians. Yeah. Um, yeah. Elvis is one I would rather have seen over the other two, although I did love those ones because his story is a lot more interesting to me and how like he rose and then fell. But um, that seems to be what they want to do right now. And I think he kind of suffered from what came before him. Yeah. yeah, the pacing was all over the place. It, it jumped around quite a bit because they were, you know, he had lived a big life and they were trying to fit it all into a, what, two and a half hour movie. But yeah, I, I think you're right. I, w- I think it would have been a stronger film if they just focused on like, you know, one era of his life as opposed to just telling the whole story. And they didn't even tell the whole story because they, they ended it before it actually ended. And I'm not saying they have to have the movie go to the day he dies, but like they did sanitize this movie like a lot. Which is what they, you know, all the movies are guilty of doing that. Rocket Man and Bohemian Rhapsody, they all do that. But, you know, it's for all the hate that the movie Blonde got this year for being like too gritty. I feel Elvis was like the polar opposite where it was just kind of glossed over all of the grit. And Elvis lived a very uh, interesting life. He made some choices. So. Yeah, I feel like that's where it kind of lacked for me. I felt like the movie was just like one giant montage. Like a lot of the graphics when they would cut with like, the, I think there were like newspaper clippings and it would like kind of cut from scene to scene. I felt like there was no scene that lasted for more than like a minute. And then they were cutting again and it just felt like one long montage to me. Um, I mean, the performances were great. The, the con- I know that they actually filmed an actual four hour long concert. That will be released sometime this year. I heard that Butler wasn't Butler pushing for it to get yeah. released because yeah. he and Baz Luhrmann like both wanted that. And I felt like I agree with you, Chuck. I felt like it could it it dragged on for me a little bit, but it could have been longer because I feel like they needed to to explain more things. It still felt too long because I was kind of bored through it. But I felt like we were needing some more stuff and like more closure yeah. on the movie as a whole. I guess the other thing I can think of is. Uh, Austin Butler himself, that seems to be the big buzz talk of the Oscars that he's going to win. Um, you, I think you mentioned the film before that we're going to talk about that we think will not let him win, but <laughs> um, I, I didn't feel like he was, he was fine. He, he, I didn't think he was amazing for his performance. He, he I also feel like he didn't really look. Yeah, I, I know. I, yeah. He wasn't quite as round as Elvis. I had to look it up, and I said yeah. he's a lot rounder looking. So, which is not like a major criticism of the film at all. I just found it really shocking that a lot of people were like, "He's going to win." If they, if yeah, only they gave some of the roundness from Tom Hanks's character to Elvis and just balanced them out a little bit. Yeah. 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 I feel like he was really good in it, but yeah, like I agree with you. Like not like Oscar nominated worthy for sure, and I think because 
he started prepping for this in 2017. It's not only the performance, but what goes into it and how he trained for years and he learned to sing and had a vocal coach still that he's working with. Like that work should definitely be recognized, but winning, I don't think he should win. So he did sing. That was yeah. You know, that was all. That was all. I wasn't sure about that. He started training to sing in 20, 2017. and because then they were filming in twenty nineteen, and then the, then they had to shut down from COVID, mm-hmm. and then it took a while to film because they needed all those crowds of people, and they couldn't. Wow. Yeah. So that's why the movie got pushed back so many times. Rachel, you you seem to have liked it more than, out of any of us. Do you have any closing things you want to say about Elvis before we move on to a, a big movie? No, I rest my case. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun. Um, okay, next one is Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. This has probably the most hype behind it of any movie, I, I would say, going into the Oscars this year. It's won a bunch of uh, Golden Globes and BAFTA, or not BAFTAs, but it's winning the most awards right now going into the Oscars. If you're not familiar with the movie, um, it's about an aging Chinese immigrant um, who is swept up in an insane adventure where she alone can save what's important to her by connecting with the lives she could have led in other universes. I didn't write that description. (laughs) This movie is hard to summarize. Um, Literally an hour ago, someone was asking me, what's it about? And I was like, oh, it's, uh, 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 so yeah, it is hard. What's everyone's thoughts on this? Because this movie is hyped right now. Like it is, I think it's the forerunner for Best Picture winner. Um, not saying it's my favorite movie of the year, I, although I did very much enjoy it. Um, I'm just, what's everyone else's thoughts? Sean, I know you got you're eager to jump to on this. I hated it, and I feel like an ass for saying that. But I don't know one person, aside from my mom, hey mom, that didn't like it. Like everyone loved it. Um, I just thought it was just too odd for me. You know, I watched it for, I think I watched the first, like, hour. Because I watched it for, like, 40 minutes, and I came into work, and you guys were telling me, watch it again, give it a try, it gets better, it gets better. Because, like, I had watched it up until the point where um, they had the fight with the fanny pack. And I was like, this is really, really odd. Um, But then I tried watching it again, and I just could not get into it. And I just, and it pains me a bit, because I see it on Letterboxd, all my friends, Five out of five stars. Yeah, Alex, you gave it a five, I think. Four and a half. You don't give anything that. I guess it's got to be good for Alex to give it that high of a of a score, and for you too. I feel like you you're very that was four and yeah, two, and you give a lot of two to three stars. A lot. I'm super picky. Yeah, and then you were like, I didn't really want to watch the movie. I thought it was gonna be weird, but you ended up loving it. So I'm like, okay, you know. And um, my brother's girlfriend, like. She likes movies, but not like a not like a critical watcher like us. And she was like, "Oh my god, it's amazing! Like one of the best movies I've seen." So I was like, "Okay, it's gonna be great." Couldn't couldn't get into it. I thought the acting was fine. You yeah. said you watched it the second time. How far did you get the second time? Like an hour through. Okay. And I feel like with a movie, it's like if you're watching it for an hour and it's still not pulling me, and I'm like, I can't. That's fair, yeah, Rachel. Did you see it? I did not see it. You didn't see it? Okay. I think everyone should give this movie a shot. Sean, you gave it a shot, obviously. I'm not blaming... Like, this movie is a lot. There's a lot going on, and um, if it doesn't... If its talons don't sink into you in the first... After that fight scene, which the one I know you're talking about, which is about, I don't know, 20 minutes, 25 minutes into the movie, maybe not, maybe not even that long, 
if the if it doesn't have its its talons in you at that point, you're not gonna like this movie. Yeah. It's just gonna pull you through. It's just gonna get weirder and yeah. Well, I'm glad that you're saying that. So now I don't feel as bad. For you shouldn't not feel bad. It. It, there's no objective way yeah. of measuring these oh. movies. Like it's just getting so much acclaim and so much press. I'm like, what am I missing? I feel like you with know. big movies, though, too, and even just, like, books that are really popular, when everyone generally gives it a five-star rating, you kind of, like, just buy into that, and you go into it with, like, the mindset of, like, oh, well, this is going to be great. And then you watch it, and you give it a five stars, even though if you watched it by yourself, maybe you wouldn't have if you hadn't mm-hmm. had that in the back of your head, mm-hmm. you know? So I feel like maybe if people separated that yeah, from... There's a lot, of, a lot of hype around Yeah, it. then maybe they wouldn't have given it five stars. Maybe they would have been like, what the heck am I watching? Great point, Rachel. Thank you, and I did not curse. <laughs> you can curse. I'm telling you, I curse. I curse. I just want the accolades for knowing I didn't do it. Good for you. Thank you. I'm proud of you. Thank you. We have the, the parents are on this side of the table, so yeah. we're, we're not going to curse because we have children Thanks. listeners. My boys will yell at Thanks. me if I curse. A millennial or a Gen Z. Gen Z. We're not going to curse because Sean's in the room. Okay. Oh yeah. Oh baby Sean. Twenty three. Born in two thousand. Can't can't curse around him. All right, so everything, everywhere, all at once. Did Chuck and I, we like this movie. Um, a, a couple of other people who work in the building, Peter is one of them. He really liked this movie. I'm sure there's a few other people on the staff who really like this movie. So let's let's try to sell it now, Chuck. Um, I'll say I think it's the directing is a little odd. They make some odd choices, but they're interesting choices. And I think this movie is one of the most creative movies i've ever seen like sure every minute of this movie has is throwing a new idea at you and it can kind of get bewildering but that's the point it's supposed to like overwhelm you with images and ideas and i think you're just supposed to get lost in it and if you aren't getting lost in it and you're you're not clicking with it it's not going to work for you so i think the directors um it's a directing duo daniel shoe i have it written down daniel shinert and daniel kwan uh, they're a directing duo, and I guess they they did Swiss Army Man, which is another weird movie. If you haven't uh, seen that, Daniel uh, Radcliffe. I didn't love that, though. It's another weird movie, another weird which one, is yeah. another one where you either like it or you don't like it. Um, but before that, they the only other thing they did is the uh, the Little John music video, like Turn Down for What? Is that Little John? Yeah, yeah Little John. Yeah. They did that yeah. music video. So it's like they really? did that, and then they did this Best Picture probably winner movie. <laughs> That so is what a career probably my favorite tribute that. fact tonight. Okay, okay good. good. I mean, that's a that's a flex for them. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. So I think this movie. I mean, even beyond like the visual, just craziness of it, the humor of the, of the movie. Beyond that, I think it does have some themes that uh, are pretty poignant, and I think it by the end, if you can make it all the way through the movie, it does tie itself up in a nice neat bow. All the craziness makes sense by the end. And I think there's actually a good story about, you know, family, I think, um, you know, multi-generational trauma, especially like the immigrant story. I think that's told really well in an interesting way, a way I've never seen before. Yeah, it's about, you know, it's about connection, which is something I think everyone needs now coming towards the tail end of a pandemic where everyone's been isolated. I think this movie's had a very good, um, you know, had the, the theme of connection and reconnection. I think it did told that really well. Yeah, I don't know. Chuck, did you have some thoughts? As much as I love it, I really don't have a whole lot to say about it. Um, I I love the characters. I felt I like that they utilized every character. I feel like a lot of times the secondary characters, like someone like 
the grandfather in that movie would have fell to the wayside eventually. I think you were right about it being the most creative film of the year. Um, that is always a big plus for me. I love originality. I hate seeing the same stories told over and over again. I know that every story has already been told, but I, I like to see people do it in a new and fresh and creative way and with interesting characters too. Um, but I think the themes were the biggest thing for me too. That was, you're right that it was very uh, timely with the pandemic and among other issues going on in the world. But um, it, I think for me, what earns an Oscar nominee is when it's able to capture a moment in our time. And I don't feel like a lot of the films did that this year necessarily like Top Gun. But anyway, um, yes. I uh, felt like this one best connected with the times. Even if people didn't quite connect with it themselves, it conveys them. It's all about um how everything is meaningless, how love is so important, how we need to connect better as people. Um, I felt like that was like perfect representation of everyone all at once at the same time on this planet. Oh, uh, look at me. Look at that. So, well said. Let's move on before yeah. we say anything yeah. uh, to slander this movie again. All right, next up is The Fablemans, Steven Spielberg's new, uh, his semi biographical. Film about a coming of age story about a young man's discovery of the love for film alongside his own family breaking up and how those kind of two things interweave with one another. Anyone have any thoughts about this one? Film of the year. Really? Okay. Explain I will, yourself. I will die on that hill. And I'll do it right now. Said the film student. Said the film. Oh, I mean, okay. <laughs> the thing is, is that I identify a lot with the main character of the movie. Growing up, being a film kid, watching movies, wanting to make movies. I, I mean, when he was eight years old in the movie, filming his trains, I mean, I did that. Not with trains, but like, you know, with cars or something. I don't know. But I loved that as, as a kid. I thought it was awesome. Um, I just think it's just like, it, as much as it is a movie about loving movies, it's like a coming-of-age story, and I feel like everybody can see themselves in the movie in some character, whether you're... The mom who's mentally, is she mentally ill? Does she, I mean, they they never, they never really addressed it, but I feel like she was battling depression maybe or something. You know, I feel like everyone can identify with the movie in some way or another. And I just, I loved it. Like I really, from the minute it started, I was glued to it. And I mean, I went into it thinking I was going to like it. But I went with my friends who are not, you know, film people, film students, and they were glued by it. I thought it was it was shot really well. I thought the script was done very well. Um, and Gabriel Lobel, who played Sammy, I thought knocked it out of the park. And he's gonna have like a career. I think he's yeah. gonna excel as just because he's only twenty years old, and like that's crazy. And I feel like he's just gonna grow from here. I do think relatability was the biggest strength of the film. Um, I did not relate as much, but with an artist's background, I can totally understand the appreciation for the arts. Um, I mentioned before how there are some films nominated this year that parallel one another, and we haven't gotten to it yet, but I do think Tar kind of parallels this film in the same way. It's like about people who appreciate the arts in two very different ways. But um, I do appreciate that part of the film. Um, I know the mom, she was nominated, I believe, yes. for Best Actress. Yeah. 
And this is um, her fifth or sixth nomination. She was very Michelle Williams. Yes. Um, but you had asked about if she had something going on with her besides depression. I think the film is very much about like being unfulfilled too, which I think was mm-hmm. her deal. She doesn't yeah. feel like she's fulfilled her life. She's obviously unhappy in her marriage. She's a very artsy type person, and she sort of like shows that off when she's dancing around and she's mm-hmm. making like really irrational decisions, like purchasing the monkey. And um, I that part I appreciate also because I feel like a lot of the times people, maybe even your friends who don't maybe appreciate the arts as much as you do. Um, we often get faced with a choice of like, do we sacrifice our lives for the arts and do what we want and makes us feel fulfilled? Or do we go and do what something like what the dad was doing where he, it, you know, it's, it's your safe. job and yeah. it's safe and it's comfortable and it gets you money and you can support your family and all that stuff. Um, so that part, I appreciated a lot about it, but I know he was limited because I know it was sort of a biopic mm-hmm. of Steven Spielberg. It wasn't like beat for beat his life, but it was like his, um, in feeling it was his life. Um, so it was limited by that, I think, too. I felt like sometimes the film was, uh, like it went a little off course with the whole high school thing, and like he had that moment with the, with the bully, and he was, like that whole scene in the, in the hallway, he was like, why are you being so nice to me? And it just, I don't know, it just didn't work for me, but um, I, I, that's my only real big complaint. It was just kind of like, meh. I mean, like the overall story. I, mean, I will agree with you. I felt like when they moved to Cali, it was it, you very much so felt a change in the movie. Yeah. Um, and the high school thing. I feel like that was because, like, that joke of you know Sammy saying, "Oh, well, maybe one day I'll make a movie about this," and that was like the gag of like he never actually made the movie, but now he's making a movie about about himself, and now he gets to expose this person who hates him just because he's Jewish. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, too, that's also a very timely issue in the world that we're in. I feel like that was smart of Spielberg to include. Because yes. um, I'm sure back... I mean, even now, it's it's hard. But especially back then, I'm sure living in an area like that where you're really the only Jewish family, that's really hard. Also, the ending I really liked. Like, specifically the last oh, couple of shots. Ending. The director is really funny. And that final shot of the camera moving... That was that's that, actually, that was probably my favorite part of the movie because it made me laugh so much. That was David Lynch who played John Ford. Uh, yeah. Nope, that's why I went right over my head. But yeah. I did enjoy. I like when the um, the little record thing changed where it was like little and he walks into the room and he, yeah. it's like his little like angelic angelic moment ends because the director's not who he thought he was. Yeah. And when they broke the fourth wall at the end when the camera like moves tilted yeah. up, I thought that was brilliant. Have you seen it, Rachel? I have not seen it. <gasps> Rachel. Let's watch it right now. I'm trying here. <laughs> <laughs> this could be a five hour podcast. Uh, Sounds like, good though. I feel, I feel like you would love it, especially being a mom of kids. I feel I like you would be able to coming of age story and yeah. I know that I probably would love it. You would be able, I feel like, to really um, tango with them. Identify? Identify. Identify. Tango. 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 Yeah, I'll, I'll fix it. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'll be making it. No. <laughs> Actually, that reminded me of something. Um, I, I did feel like the film had a hard time balancing the different plot lines at times. I felt like I went in knowing that this was going to be about like his parents somewhat and that there was a rocky relationship there. Um, but then, like I said, it, it changes to his high school life. It, there was something else that I can't think of right now. I felt like there was a third plot line that the movie well, changed to. With the girl. 
with uh, like the girl maybe. who like loves God. That whole that I funny. thought that was so funny. In, in and of themselves, each scene yeah. was fine, but like together, it some might sometimes felt kind of confusing and messy at times. So, but I gave this movie a nine out of ten. I really like this movie. This it's Steven Spielberg just having fun. I mean, it's a director, one of the best directors ever to live, just having fun. You know, he he throws all of his tricks into this movie. Uh, I think it's. He absolutely deserves his, his uh, nomination for Best Director. It's not my favorite film of the year, but this movie is hard to pick apart because it's so technically sound. Even the issues that you both mentioned with the, the script, the screenplay, I didn't really find those to be too much of problems for me. I think it's just such a solid movie. It's really hard to find fault in it. And that in itself is its flaw in that it plays things a little too safe it seems a little on the generic side but this is a movie like i can recommend to anyone anyone who comes to the reference desk and they say i need a movie recommendation i don't care who you are i can say well you'll like the fablemans because it's it's hard it's just such a uh it's such a uh, relatable story and it's just so well made and it's heartwarming and it's kind of like, uh, if I could compare it to last year's winner, it's kind of like Coda, where this movie, although I don't think it will win Best Picture, it may win, It's it might have a chance the same way Coda won, in that it's hard to find fault with the movie, and it may win just based on the way the voting plays out, where this might be everyone's second or third favorite movie in their voting, and the way the ranked choice voting works with the uh, the Academy, it might you know, end up with the most points and win best picture. Like it, it could slip through because it, it's, it is such uh, you know, a people pleaser, you know? Totally. So yeah, I, I can't really find any faults with it. There's a, one other scene that I really loved and uh, that's with Judd Hirsch who plays the grandfather. It's about halfway through the movie. I think that's my favorite scene and I'm glad he got an Oscar nomination for it. It's funny because uh, he's only in the movie for like five minutes and he gets an Oscar nomination for supporting actors. So uh, that doesn't happen very often. Just to give you an idea of how good the scene is. Um, but the, the end of the movie is very silly and, and funny. And I laughed out loud just seeing um, David Lynch dressed up with the eye patch looking like John Ford was hilarious. I laughed out loud. So I, I very much appreciated seeing that as well. So, yeah, I don't know. It's not my favorite movie of the year. It's probably, you know, but it's definitely in my top five. And I really liked it. And I can recommend it to anybody, really. So the next movie on our best picture list, if we're moving through it, is the best movie of the year. Objectively, it is Tar. If you haven't heard of this movie, <clears throat> Tar is about Lydia Tar, the world's greatest composer-conductor. Uh, she's at the peak of her career when stories from her dark past begin to unravel her legacy. This movie is starring Kate Blanchett, who will win the Oscar for Best Actress. And this is the best movie of the year. And that's, yeah. What else did everyone else think about it? And you are wrong if you don't agree with me. <laughs> I'm going to have Chuck start this one. I, uh, I didn't mind it. I, I, I went in thinking I wasn't going to like it. Um, Why was that? It seemed boring at first. And that, that is... Totally shallow, just looking at the trailers and going, wow, this looked really dull. I actually ended up appreciating it a lot more than I thought I would for basically the same reasons that I just said about the Fablemans, but I connected with Tar more than I did the Fablemans. Um, 
without spoiling too much, there's a scene at the very beginning of the film where um, Kate Blanchett's character is lecturing a student, and she basically says something along the lines of how what you have to sacrifice to achieve great art, and the, the that line, whatever she said, I wish I could, I should have wrote it down, but um, it. I think that is how you understand the rest of the film, which I think could have been very confusing for people if they didn't pick up on that. Again, with the background that I have as a writer, I completely relate to and understand the desire to use art as an escape and using it as a way to create an entirely new identity for yourself, which I think is what she did. And um, I don't know how spoiler-free we're supposed to be during these things, but... It, her life goes back to the way it was later in the film, and you see who she really is, the type of person she was before she became this amazing, uh, uh, what was she doing? She was doing music, right? She's a composer, yeah. She's an EGOT winner. Like, they build that up where she's, like, this genius, essentially. Right. So, um, you find out she, the house she lives in, the life she lives, the clothes, the car, everything... It's all just a facade, and she was just a nobody from this tiny little place in, I want to say, Staten Island, somewhere like in the middle of nowhere. She was basically poor, um, and I just really understood that as a person. I, I, I As someone who wants to be in, um, a, a published author one day, I completely understand like the sacrifices that you have to make sometimes to, to achieve that kind of stuff and the, the, the lengths you're willing to go. I'm not as psychotic as the woman in Tar. <laughs> this is my uh, declaration that I'm a psychopath. So, um, yeah. So um, I I appreciated that part about it, but I do understand why people thought it was a little drawn out and it was a little dull at times. Um, that's where I'm gonna stop. <laughs> I don't think I had any other notes. About Sean, did you finish this movie? No, no, I didn't even think so. Yeah, this was another movie. I think it was maybe 45 minutes, 40 minutes. Yeah, I watched the trailer and I was like, "Wow, this actually looks pretty good." I thought like it looked pretty intense. Looked like it was gonna be fun. I think I understood one line of the whole movie. It was for me. It was too much music lingo about the composing and the way that the music is bridged and composed and written and I felt like very lost. Maybe that's just me not being like musically intelligent. But yeah, I just couldn't really get into it. I mean I'm sure maybe if I continued it I would have liked it. But from what I saw, I didn't think it was that great. But that's just me. I like I don't know. I thought she was fine in it. I don't think she should win. But I thought she was good. Who do you think should win? Michelle Williams. Michelle, um, from yeah, The Fable. From The Fable Men's, and obviously, I mean, but you look at her career, it's, it's been like, she's done so many different kinds of roles. Like, her first nomination was for Blue Valentine. Which Kate was, Blanchett, we're talking about now. Oh, Michelle Williams, No, Michelle sorry. Williams, oh. I think, right? Yeah. yeah. She was in that with Ryan Gosling. Back was in like, Kate Blanchett in Blue Valentine? Am I going crazy? No. Yeah. It was Michelle Williams. Back in, like, 2010. Thinking of something else, then. Yeah, I could picture it in my head, yeah. Yeah, um, so yeah. But... Tar, I think if you're a music person and you're like a like a symphony fan, like I was talking to Tim here, and he used to collect um, classical music back in college. I didn't know that about him, and he said that he was a big classical music fan back in the day. So I feel like he'll love it because like it'll be something that he'll be able to relate to. Whereas for me, I couldn't. So that's it. Blue Jasmine was the movie I was thinking of. Oh, Blue Jasmine. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Did you see this movie yet? I did not. 
but I'm happy to be here. <laughs> happy to be included. That's all right. We're saving Rachel for the second segment. I, uh, can I add to what yeah. we were discussing previously? I also wanted to add, and now I lost my train of thought because it's been a minute. Uh, uh, you were talking about um, Kate Blanchett being the best person of the year. I didn't agree. Sorry. Who do you think should win? Michelle Williams. No. I thought it should be, I just don't want to pronounce her name incorrectly, Michelle Yao? Yao? The mom and everything everywhere all at once. She did a really good job, I thought. Um, yeah, she's great. I connected with her character the most. I was rooting for her, which I think is a big plus in the film when you can start rooting for the character. I don't feel like I'm always rooting necessarily for everybody that I'm watching. I think best actress category this year is going to be the most competitive of any category. Like I am that in directing, I think is going to be really close um, because I I agree. Like Michelle Yeoh and uh, Michelle Williams were great. I just think Kate Blanchett's performance this year for Tar is like. So multifaceted. Like, she plays it so subtly, but she also plays, like, manipulative. Like, she plays so many different emotions, but she doesn't overact. Um, I, I don't know. I just, I was riveted with her performance. Um, she would be my runner-up if I had to think. Um, I just want to close, like, one more thing about Tar. So, I thought the pacing of the movie was so good. I saw Tar, Tar twice. That's how much I liked it. So, I watched it the second time trying to pay more attention to like the structure of the film and and how they pull off the twist at the end, you know, maybe two thirds of the way through where the movie has a huge shift in tone. Uh, I don't want to spoil anything because it's very relevant to the themes and, and everything of the movie, but the way they drip out information in this movie is just so well done where the first time you're watching it, you have no idea why they're showing you this or it doesn't even really sink in. But by the time the, the twist happens two-thirds of the way through the movie, everything starts to think, oh, that's what... And then everything kind of clicks, and the movie turns into almost like a psychological horror movie. Like, I don't know. I thought the director, Todd Field, did such a great job just plotting this movie along. I didn't think there was any wasted scenes. I think everything is just... It's just such a well-oiled machine. I don't, this, this director only makes a movie every eight years, and I really think he put eight years of work into this movie. It just felt like... Everything was so meticulously crafted. I would probably have to go back and watch it again, too. Um, you did remind me about, um, again, avoiding spoilers, there is a presence throughout the film that at first I did not realize. I thought it was just a trick of the light in one of the scenes, and then I realized that this presence is throughout the entire film. And I said the same thing. It reminded me of like a psychological horror, kind of like a ghost story almost. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I had to go back and research that, too. But I'd have to watch it a second time to probably appreciate it on the same level you do. Yeah, I mean, this movie, it's not for everyone. It, I, I agree. It's, bo- it's boring. It can be boring. It's a character. It's a two-and-a-half-hour character study on Lydia Tarr, on Kate Blanchett's character. So, again, like if that's your kind of movie, which that's very much my kind of movie, you're going to love this movie. If it's not, if you're looking for more plot and more, I don't know, something that's going on, this movie's not for you. It's it's kind of one note, but I think it strikes it really well. So next movie, this one was a little bit of a surprise to me. Triangle of Sadness. Did everyone, anyone have a chance to see this one? No. So this movie is, I would say, I would call this the indie movie of the bunch. This one um, didn't get much of play. I, I, I was kind of surprised when I saw this get nominated for Best Picture, to be honest. It's, it's an A, I think it's A24 film who does it, who's a, they're a pretty big production company at this point, but they do more artsy indie films. And this one 
Yeah, I I liked it. I think it's well written. I should say what it's about, first of all, since probably most people haven't even heard of this movie. So just very briefly, it's about a, a model and influencer couple who join a private luxury cruise for the super rich. And when catastrophe strikes the yacht, um, its passengers must face a new, different reality. Just to kind of put it vaguely there. So sounds good. I like. I really like this movie. It's. Uh, I think it has a very good script. I. I don't know if it was nominated for screenplay for original screenplay, but I think it should have. I believe it was actually. Yeah. So it's it's an interesting movie. The first half of the movie is kind of uh, just slowly builds the tension. You don't really know what's going on. You're nodding. It is nominated. You're nodding your head. No. I'm oh. Sorry. Okay. Yeah, kind of. The, it's almost like three movies in one. It, and the first third of the movie is about this couple and their kind of relationship, and you know they're influencers, so there's kind of like a jealousy going back and forth between them because you know one is getting more successful, and and so there's kind of like that dynamic going on. And then the second third of the movie is kind of like this crazy horror movie where like. Everything just unfolds on this yacht, and it's just, it's gross and crazy and just bonkers. And then the third, the final third of this movie is like a is survivor, basically. <laughs> I don't want to spoil too much, but uh, this movie takes some bold uh, choices, and uh, it's all over the place. It was extremely entertaining, and again, I think it's really well written. I think it's themes about, uh, you know... Social dynamics and everything is really well done. But yeah, man, this movie was bonkers. And I was shocked that it was nominated for Best Picture. I'm, I'm, I don't yeah. even know how I feel about it, to be honest. Yeah, this film kind of came out of nowhere. I went in not knowing what it was about. Before I go on, it was not nominated for anything except, except Best Picture. And I just did a scam, and I just double-checked myself. I don't see its name anywhere else. Um, but I, uh, I wouldn't say the story was the best written, because I think... On the surface, it could be a little bit strange and, and like hard to follow, but I do think the message is was its strength in the movie, especially yeah. the imagery. There's a lot of a, a lot of metaphors um, and that they use to convey the messages that they're trying to convey. Um, I do agree that the opening was a little slow, but I feel like just being on the cruise boat that they're invited to, once you see the other people on the cruise boat with them, you just sit there and you go, oh, I know what this movie's going to be about. Yeah. Um, it takes a while to get to what yes. the movie's about. Yes. And there is a great scene. There is at least one good moment in each like section of the yeah. film. They're divided into sections. And um, I'm trying to say this without spoiling it, but I guess what I'm just really trying to say is that it... The message, if if you're not into messages, like the points of films, then the rest of it might just go right over your head and you're not going to really appreciate it. Yeah. I, I found the characters, they were more sort of archetypal in a sense, like they each represent a type of person or a demographic. Definitely. And so they were really hard to connect with on like a much more personal level. It's definitely not character driven. I wouldn't say that it is. It's more about like the events in the yeah. real world and how that how they work together it's kind of like a um like a philosophical treatise almost Alleg like alleg yeah. Yeah. yeah but it, like wrapped around like this crazy horror yes. kind of story it's really weird i don't know if you're like so, into any of those things i think it's worth a watch but if any of what we're talking about doesn't really interest you i think this one is a hard pass because yeah. it's not for everyone it, it's kind of a weak link between the two but again i was saying how there was each best picture film seemed to have some kind of parallel 
this was the one that I felt closest to everything everywhere all at once in terms of like the messaging and how bizarre it gets. Both, I think, kind of match each other on that level. But I still think everything everywhere is, is on a whole different level than Triangle Sadness. But it was a really odd addition to the list. Like it just, yeah. aside from that one connection with the movie, the rest of it, I'm like... I feel like the Academy was kind of throwing a bone to like the the indie scene um you know the oscars it's no it's no secret that they're shedding viewers like crazy and they're trying to get you know people to watch again so uh i feel like they're with the best picture nominees their strategy is okay let's let's give an oscar to the biggest movies of the year let's give one oscar to an indie darling let's give an oscar to you know the art house movie there's kind of like cover all their bases to try to pull in some new viewers i think yeah and this one uh I don't know. As far even for like as far as like indie movies go, I would have thought they would have given it to um, After Sun, which I is the lead actor. I haven't seen it either, but that got a lot of good buzz, and the 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 lead actor from that got a best actor nomination. Is that Paul Mescal? Yeah, but yeah, I don't know. I don't really have any more thoughts about Triangle of Sadness other than if you like bizarre movies that are. <laughs> I don't long. even know. <laughs> it's kind of long too. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's worth checking out. Otherwise, this is one I, I, I can't recommend this one to anyone, really. Yeah. Um, Yikes. Also, a surprising amount of donkeys in this year's. Donkeys? Like, the Banshees of Inisherin had a donkey thing yeah. in it. A mule. There yeah. was a donkey in this movie when they're surviving on the island. Yeah. And there was another film that, of course, is leaving me right now. Lots of donkeys this year. Okay. And mm-hmm. kind of the same situation all three times. So I don't know what they had against donkeys this year. So. All right. All right. <laughs> so many things you could say about that. You know? You know? to decide. Which, actually, now that we mention it, it kind of ends on an ambiguous note in the end of the film. And I think that was, of course, done on purpose. Oh, but I hate that. I want to know. I know. I don't like an ambiguous ending. I think it was done. When you understand the point of the film, I, I, I'm trying to think of like, the best way to like phrase the question. It's basically like, what do we do with this information that we just learned in the film? And I think go from there. It's a very... It's about the message. So Yeah, it, the movie, I guess, without giving too much away, it's very much about role reversals. Mm-hmm. So it each each time the, the movie shifts to a new movie, like uh, the new, new uh, third, basically, of the movie, the roles kind of flip. So it's that's kind of like what the movie's about. It's about seeing like, okay, like... I don't want to spoil anything. It's so hard not to spoil anything. But uh, it's about, you know, how do we how do we think about class? How do we think about, like, servants? Like, that kind of role is what I'm talking about. And then, you know, what happens when the rules as we know them are no longer there? What happens? You know, it's kind of... Or what, what happens when the roles are flipped? Like, how do we treat one another? It's it's very interesting. Yeah. Um, okay, I think it we've talked... <laughs> preachiness also to a degree. Yeah. More so than any of the other films that I've seen this year. Yeah. Um, it kind of, I don't know if everyone saw Don't Look Up last year, but mm-hmm. it's like sort of on that like satirical. Sure. Um, I don't Don't think Look it was Up quite was a lot more direct yeah. and with the audience, but this one I think was kind of going in the same way, but that's all I have to say about it. All right. Let's move on to uh, the second highest grossing movie of the year, Top Gun Maverick. Uh, Shock from the audience. Let's hear from somebody else besides myself and Chuck for a second. Did either of you see this? I feel like it's like the same as the Top Gun, the first one. No, like yeah, airplanes and you know I don't. Did you see it? No. 
but I, original, I'm sorry. original. It's so good. I told you I have Love is Blind episodes I, to watch. I will I will say my piece on it because I recently saw a video with Spielberg and Tom Cruise at the Oscars luncheon. I feel like the Academy nominated this for Best Picture because it saved movie theaters. Only other movies that were really doing well in movie theaters were the franchise movies. Anything with Marvel, Batman, anything like that. Like Spider-Man No Way Home was the highest grossing film, I believe, of 2021. And that was still during a huge COVID surge. And I think that Maverick was really the first movie to come out where all of the rules and the tensions around COVID were starting to lessen a little bit. And I think people wanted something fun, something where someone comes in and saves the day. Because it's just like we've gone through the past three years of like, are we ever getting out of this? Is there a person that's going to help us? It's Tom Cruise. What? It's Tom Cruise. Exactly. Oh, I thought I, I thought you saw someone behind me. Yeah, yeah. I got excited. Yeah, yeah. our parents. You yeah. didn't tell us he was. But like, <laughs> he's been under the know, table the whole time. It's Tom, and like you know, he's a questionable guy in some of his political reviews and you know his things in life. But like, from an actor standpoint and a producing standpoint, I mean, this movie was originally coming out in July of 2019 which is crazy that it got moved back that many times. And you have to think, you know, they all learned how to fly the jets, which is, like, really cool. Like, what other movie can really say that they did that? I feel like it was just, like, that movie that everyone needed to, like, kind of, like, feel safe, I guess, in a world where, like, there were so many endless questions of, like, what the hell is going on? And, like, are we ever going to get out of this? And, like, it is just cool to know that, like, there are people like that in the real world, like, doing that. Because it's, like, we have no idea what these naval air force men are doing and these navy seals and you know these fire jet pilots they have no idea i mean so i just thought that that was really cool i see chuck is like <laughs> spewing stewing 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 he can't even he's sit about still. to spew he's like yeah. dancing and chair. i know that it's because you're gonna say that you're not patriotic right was that what you said that you're not a very patriotic person oh boy and that's no, why well, i'm not but that's not what i was gonna say but um do with the positives first i mean you know it is a very pro-war movie, but I feel like it doesn't it doesn't glamorize it in a way where it's like we have to put all of our money towards war. No, I don't feel that way. And I feel like, you know, it's Miles Teller, Glenn Powell, and Tom Cruise. I mean, it's a great summer flick. And look at the Miles Teller mustache. I mean, he brought back the mustache. It didn't really look good on anybody but him. But he brought it back, and that's a powerful thing. Did you try it? Did I try? Yeah. God, no. I would have looked. <laughs> Kelly, you I should have came to this podcast with that mustache. No, but I, support. You but, I, but I have friends. I have friends who tried it, and they looked like seventies porn stars. It was terrible. <laughs> I don't know if that can really make the cut there, but uh, that's why I'm wearing a mask. Oh, really? Even though I see your beard to the side, it's fine. <laughs> I don't have any other notes. I'll check my phone while Chuck talks. No, like Rachel, did, did you see oh. it? I did not see it. Yeah, but but I do like Sean's point about it being so relevant and so popular because it came out during a time when COVID restrictions were dropping and people were like, all right, we can go to the movies. We can go do things again. So I think it's interesting like to look back even like 10 years, 20 years from now, just to look back and see like what was so popular back then and yeah. kind of why. Because if it came out another time, I know. All right, enough. <laughs> because I feel like if it came out like in July 9, 2019 like would it have been like as popular no, you know so. so I think that's a really interesting point 
I think it did kind of shock everyone in the fact that it was the longest theatrical run of the year. I mean, it didn't come out on DVD until November, and the movie came out in May. Like, that's crazy that it took that long, especially now where movies are out for three weeks and then they're out to rent. Where it's like, they were like, no, like, this needs to be seen in the theater on the big screen. And that's the only way everyone was going to see it, and it just blew up. And, I mean, there were so many movie theaters that were on the verge of being shut down that benefited heavily from that movie. Um, I've seen it in the theaters, I think, now three times. Wow. Oh, please. And it was so good. Every I liked it more and more each time I saw it because it's a great movie. Oh, if you just see Chef's face right now. <laughs> yeah. And my mom also loves this movie. And if you ever want to talk to her about war movies, <laughs> she will totally do it because she's a pro on this stuff. Chuck, your, your opinion? I don't even know where to be. I'm just going to go. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I, my standards are a little higher. I don't, I, I'll credit it. Wow. What are you so, saying? I have low standards. I do right now. That's a deal. That's, <laughs> that's, that's not I a don't stop. think that how it helped the economy and people's feelings throughout a pandemic, I don't think that's enough to make it a, a best picture nominee. But um, I also just, that aside, did not feel like it was a very good story. Um, I didn't like the characters. I didn't like the situation at all, which also didn't quite make sense. I feel like at the end, he pretty much started a war and they just skirted over that bit. But that's besides the point. A war with who, though? Yeah, how they never even yeah, say, they who, never the say who you're fighting. But that action that they did, that whole little Death Star trench run up the thing mm-hmm. to the mountain... Like, that that would have started a war. Well, something recently like that <laughs> just happened, like, last month, where they, these jets, like, ran a course. It, I mean, it wasn't exactly like that, but they dropped a bomb on... Yeah. <laughs> they dropped a bomb on some enemy force, and I haven't seen a war start since, so... Okay. All right. Okay. What about the story didn't make sense? Um, well, that, that was like my biggest gripe. They're, okay. they're, they're, they're working toward this goal that they're going to strategically strike this place. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, it just seemed like whatever the location was, I forget what it was, but it was yeah. like a... It's like inside like, of like a volcano. A relative, it was like a valley, okay. I believe, right? It was like a deep They valley. shared it with yeah. a Dr. Evil or something, yeah. so... Yeah, it seemed like a relatively important location for whatever country it was, mm-hmm. and... It just seemed like when they did that, that that was like, I feel like they were invading their airspace. They're like, they're not at war. So it's not like they're allowed to just be there for some reason. I don't know. I don't know military strategy. I'm not here to talk about military (laughs) strategy. Well, I feel like there are a lot of things that go on that we don't know about. And that's, that's fair. And also too, like at the end of the day, it is a movie. So it's like, they're going to take liberties and like, what's real. And I don't think Tom Cruise went into this trying to be like, Oh, like let's make it, you know, Real for real. Like and to be fair, everything. I believe this story was an adaption of a, another of a book or something. Because it, it's nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay. Because, no, it's because it's a because sequel. It's a sequel because it takes from the same characters from the original Top Gun. Oh. Yeah. That's, a, that's considered an adaptation. Yeah. Yes. I, I was confused on that adaptation? too. Adaptation? I thought they like adaptation. Adaptation. Yeah, I think it's adaptation. Uh, we can burn. We can just have Alex <laughs> just say adaptation over <laughs> my voice. So. <laughs> Whatever. So it wasn't his story. I my bigger gripe was just the overall military culture. Um, I I just feel like it was a little too lighthearted, and this was what I was kind of saying before with um, its parallel to All Quiet on the Western Front, where 
I feel like that was a much more accurate portrayal of what wartime is and what the the demeanor of the soldiers should be. Granted, they were in trenches and it was a lot bloodier and a lot less, a lot more violent in all quiet on the Western Front. But it just felt like sometimes it felt like they were goofing around, and it just I don't know why they why that's portrayed that way. Like it just it kind of make it kind of diminishes the importance of being in the military to me. I just think that that's how the life they just is like they f- around, and I'm like you can believe that. And around and find out. I don't know. I, I feel I, like it's going to get political. I understand <laughs> I'm worried this is going to turn into something else. <laughs> but, like, to be fair, all quiet on the Western Front, there were no video cameras documenting how the soldiers were in World War One. So how can That's we, fair. How can we truly That's say... That's a valid point. I mean, they spent, like, days in the trenches not doing anything. That I mean, the portrayal is accurate. Right. This is, like, what psychologists believe and what historians think that that's how they acted. Whereas okay. now, on these naval bases, there are... Camera crews and there's documentaries being made every year where you can see how it shirtless is. touch football on the beach. Of course, but they did have me up. they did have actual <laughs> Rachel's now interested in the pilots <laughs> on the set of this movie because Tom Cruise wanted to, wanted it to be as accurate as possible, and mm-hmm. they were the ones when the jets were doing all the flips and the tricks in the air. They were they were actual retired pilots in those jets. Oh, that's pretty cool. But the IMAX cameras were mounted onto the, onto the jets when they were shooting other scenes, so the actors were actually flying in the jets that they learned for over six months. That's cool, and that part I actually had no problem with. It's more, it's on the ground. That was it. Mm-hmm. at the bar, playing football on the, on, the, on the beach all shirtless, and they're having a grand old time. When they lost their little simulations, and they had to do push-ups, and it was supposed mm-hmm. to be funny, because they're like, ha-ha, you have to do push-ups for 300 hours. And I was just like, that stuff bugs me a lot. Because I'm like, why is it being portrayed in this goofy, lighthearted way? It's also known for being a bit of a cheesy film. Oh, the totally. way his relationship with that woman. It hits all the right notes, like in like a typical Hollywood it was very, production. I guess it was also very 80s. It was very much trying mm-hmm. to represent the, or uh, honor the original film. And I, I don't know, I guess that makes it sort of outdated for the times. But that's, you know, that's mm-hmm. all a matter of taste. So yeah, yeah. All right, I don't want to dwell. Okay, no problem. Okay, so I just looked up on my my letterbox um, account on my list of my favorite movies of the year. I saw sixty four movies that came out in twenty twenty two. Thank you. Yes, I'm flexing right now. Uh, Top Gun Maverick is ranked thirty eight on that list for me. I didn't hate this movie. I think the production value is very high. It's a very entertaining movie. The sounds, the sound is great. It probably will win for best sound. It should. Um, everything else about this movie is so generic and bad. I, I don't know. It's just it's a it's a blockbuster movie, but it has totally. no totally. like it has no heart. Yeah. It has yeah. It's just like a popcorn. You you, you eat popcorn with your friends and you say, "Oh, that was that thing blew up. That was cool." <laughs> And then you go home and you forget about it. That's not true. And me. this movie was like a beat for beat, just not a remake of the first one. Like they didn't change anything. It felt like, and I didn't like the first one either. So that's. I will say I never saw old. the original one, so I had nothing to go on. Yeah. But I heard that. I, I think the first one. one. Yeah, I figured yeah. I saw it already. Yeah, I, I don't really have anything else to add. You know, I, I other than it was a great production. You know, all the technology they went into it. It was shot really cool and fun, but. You know, the story is it just so bad. I thought it was pretty unremarkable. But I do think it makes more sense when you say that because of what it contributed to the the entertainment industry, 
that makes more sense why it's on the best picture. Yeah, because I mean... Is that a compliment? I don't know if that's a compliment. It's, I mean, at the end of the day, it's all about money. Mm-hmm. And yeah. the Academy Awards, like Alex said, yeah. they're losing viewers left, right, and center. Maybe this year they'll get more, hoping for some sort of slap. Right. Or some sort of punch or kick or jab or something. I don't know. But I feel like nominating that is great, because then it's going to pull in a lot of viewers to, oh, look, it's Tom. It makes total sense why they, why they did it. Yeah. You know, it's Miles Teller. All right, we have one more movie to talk about, and we are already well past an hour, so <laughs> let's let's get into it. So the last movie is Women Talking. Um, this is a movie, um, a group of women in an isolated religious colony struggle to reconcile their faith with a string of sexual assaults committed by the colony's men. This is an ensemble movie. It had uh, Jesse Buckley, Frances McDormand, great performances all around. It's based off a, a book, and... Um, the whole time I saw this movie, I was thinking this would be better as a book. And I kind of wish I just read the book instead. I, this move, the movie, I didn't, didn't really grab me. I think it was a little too heavy handed. I think some of the dialogue was too close to a book. Like it should have just stayed in the book. They should have adapted it better. And the film looks ugly. Like looks bad. Like the color, the coloring of the film is washed out and just looks really bad. Um, so yeah, it's, I think this is one of the movies you have to watch just for the performances, which are great again. But uh, yeah, I didn't really, this didn't really click with me. I don't know. Did anyone else see it? I did not see it. But I was wondering if maybe the coloring of the movie and like the dark, depressing tones was meant to like mimic how the women are feeling and the what it's about and put you like in that drab, depressed like mindset. Yeah, but I... Yes. No, that is what they were going for. But the the subject matter is already so heavy that I felt like it, it was unnecessary. And it looks it's so washed out that it looks like surreal, like it looks like a dream sequence almost, which I don't know. It just didn't work for me. I think it would have looked better with a more natural. That's just me, though. This movie has been getting good reviews. Maybe it's just me it didn't click with. I don't know. Chuck, what did you think? I, I thought grimy, actually, when I saw it. It kind of looked gross. You yeah. Know, like, everything looked dirty, which I thought was why they did it, because, like, that's just, not that they live dirty, but that they're very, it's all natural, and, like, there there's no technology to keep things as clean, so it's, like, they're sweeping, whatever. I agree that it was definitely, that is by, like, the biggest character story of the year. Like, it's just the entire which title. Which is fine. Like, I, it's got the best title. Yeah, the most accurate line. title. It is just them talking the entire time. I don't know. I had high hopes going into it. I thought it was going to be like the like a 2020 version of 12, uh, 12 Angry Men, you know? It, I think visually it could have been a lot more interesting. I think you're right that the source material limited it a lot. They were probably trying to be true to the source material. Um, the story is good. It's a very read, interesting And it's based off of a true story, too, which I didn't know either. I would recommend everyone read the book. I The movie... I just didn't think it was a good adaptation. It felt like a almost like a play, but not in like a good way. Like it wasn't a, a good movie adaptation. I found myself. It, I don't believe it was nominated for anything. I found myself thinking of um, "She Said," the film yeah. about the Harvey Weinstein case, and with very similar subject material. But I think their strength in women talking was just the point of view. We don't only get to see it from a Amish community, of course, and everyone's pretty much familiar with the Harvey Weinstein case, maybe not the specifics, but but both stories, because it's really just about hearing people's stories of what they went through or how they feel about the situation, it, it doesn't lend itself visually to a lot of to a lot of movie spectacle. It's mm-hmm. a lot of just listening to people talk and hearing their case and it it's like an interview basically. 
Um, these women were not interviewed, obviously. They were just chatting amongst themselves because it was more of a debate of whether or not they were going to yeah. stay or leave. I don't know. I just, I felt like the, they didn't build up the tension enough. Like, there was no, like... You didn't really get a sense of... Like, you knew where they stood on each person's position, but you really didn't get to know them. Right. Like, the, do you remember the part where they're talking about... Um, Jessica Buckley's like um, husband who's like returning and is like so I the whole movie is is taking place like in this one night where all the women have to figure out what they want to do collectively about all these assaults right and all the men are away uh, I don't want to spoil anything but they're all doing something they're all away um, and and basically like the only thing that happens in the movie is like one of the characters husbands is coming back and they you think like okay this is going to be like create the tension of the movie like they need to like meet in secret and stuff they don't he just comes and goes and it's like why did that even i don't know I, I, there was just no tension like building it was just like I don't know. the only tension i recall if this is the right character that i'm thinking of um jessica buckley was the one the husband who was he, he does yeah. something to her okay so when they're trying to leave discreetly and like the girls run around and like telling everybody we're leaving at dawn or whatever, that was probably the most exciting moment. Of the yeah, movie. but that should have happened like halfway through the movie. Yeah. yeah. Or, yeah <laughs> That's how exactly. it should have started. So we could have been like, well, why did they leave? But, I wanted to see what happened after. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, I was wondering the same, the logistics, because it wasn't really clear. I mean, I know that they're... Uh, what were you saying? No, I'm just... <laughs> I, I haven't seen the movie, and I, based off of what you guys are saying, I'm very glad I didn't, because okay. I feel like you I would have hated this movie. Okay, good. Because it, I saw a trailer at the gym, and I was just like, based off of the 30-second clip, I'm like, nah, not for me. And it did. It looked very dark and, like, grimy. Like, it, it didn't look like a nice-looking... I mean, it's not like a nice movie. But. I think it was intentional. And I also think it was intentional that the men were left out. I think that was sort of, except for the one guy, I forget his name, the guy from the James Bond films, that's how I know him. Daniel Craig? No, the, he's like a minor character in James Bond. Anyway, so uh, he, uh, I felt like that was a very deliberate choice to leave the men out. I don't know what the source material was, if they were even involved with the men in that in the book. I was going to say before, you don't really get a sense of when this is happening either. You, I mean, they're Amish, so like, no, I assume it's they old. say a couple of times it's it's in like 2010, I think, is when it occurs. Oh, it is in modern times. Yeah. Okay. That's what I was wondering. Yeah, I, but I agree that the what it was like outside of the colony would have, might have been the more interesting right. story to tell. Yeah, the the real like the story this is this is that this is based off of happened in I want to say like Sweden or something too. So it wasn't didn't happen in America. I know that. So it would have been interesting to get like that aspect of it. Well, maybe we'll get the sequel. Women talking in Manhattan or something. Women still talking. <laughs> Speaking of women talking, I want to get Rachel involved in this oh, episode. Boy. So let's take a quick break. We just covered all the Best Picture nominees. And when we come back, we're going to talk about our personal favorite movies of the year. Does that work for everybody? Yes. All right, sure. let's keep it brief because we are way over. Okay, so... My favorite movie that was not nominated from last year was 13 Lives. Did any of you see that? Nope. No, no. So um, it was directed by Ron Howard. It's on Amazon Prime. And it's about the uh, those boys from the junior football team in Thailand that got stuck in the caves. Oh, yes. Viggo yes. Mortensen was in it, Viggo right? Mortensen, Colin yeah, Farrell yeah. also. Um, it was really great. It follows them from the time the boys went into the caves and... I had a refreshment memory because I remember like how did they get stuck for so long. So they went with their coach just to explore the caves and they ended up with a torrential rainfall and it trapped them in and they were stuck in the caves. Um, I think it was 10 days. They were stuck down there. 
Um, and I remember it was World War News. Everyone was talking about it. People from all over the world were trying to help. And Elon Musk was offering, you know, whatever he could offer. This was five years ago. So not, you know, the Elon we know now. But, um, yeah, so people all over the world were offering their help. And it was a really crazy story. And the craziest thing is they all got out alive. Yeah. Every single kid, the coach. Um, so the movie was great because it followed the whole thing and it stayed true to the story. Um, not only the cave rescue, but also the people who helped, like, in order to get the boys out too, um, the farmers had to get permission for, to flood their crops. Um, so they lost their season's crops, but they had to do that to get the boys out and they agreed, like readily agreed. Um, yeah, it was a six hour dive down. They had, I believe, Navy SEALs doing it at first, and then they said it was too much. They couldn't do it and I'd have specialized divers go down. Um, and in order to bring the kids out, they had to sedate them and carry them out one by one. So they had to wow, send Jesus. an anesthesiologist down there to sedate each one and bring them one by one. That's insane. Which is insane, right? Like, that I remember is... watching it on TV and, like, yeah. each boy was emerged, like, one by one. So this film really reenacts the whole thing. Um, it was really, really good. I mean, Ron Howard is really good at that yeah. kind of thing. Um, so I highly recommend it. One also thing I just liked about the movie was it showed you timers on the screen at some point. So you got the real feel of like how long they were down there and how long it took to get down there. Um, yeah. And it was shot, I think, on location. Not on location. They wanted to shoot it in the caves, I believe. But COVID restrictions got in the way and, you know, caves are very tight. So they couldn't do that. But it was a really phenomenal film. It was kind of long. It was two and a half hours. But it's such a story. I don't know how you could possibly, like, yeah, that's it even terrible. shorter. Yeah. yeah. There, yeah. Yeah. there was a documentary that came out and I watched that and what you're telling me it nails it like yeah. every aspect of it. my mom saw that movie and she loved this it she was, thought it was great. incredibly made like incredibly well made uh-huh. um, and I did want to see that so you now, should, yeah. now I definitely will yeah I know there was one more you want to talk about you can talk about it and then we'll transition to, to I want to talk about I'll turning give you red I'm <laughs> oh, sorry say it again I talked over you I wanted to talk about turning red because I feel that's nominated for Best Animated Feature. Yep. That had a lot of controversy when that first came out. I don't know if you guys remember. I, I, I remember and I love this movie. I don't know the controversy. So it's about a young girl who gets her period for the first time. And the monster that turns red is basically like her, like her hormones and all of that. And in the mom community, there was a lot of moms who did not like having to explain to their daughters what a period is and um the time of the month they didn't like explaining that they thought it was inappropriate um you know it caused a lot of controversy but this is it was a great movie i wish i had it when i was a kid and i was 11 or 12 um i didn't have anything like that i had a book gave to me and been like you have any questions let me know did she actually have her period in the movie? I thought it was strictly the panda thing, and it was just made clear that that was an obvious metaphor, including the title. I don't think they explicitly said it was her period, but I mean, that's... I think it's heavily but implied. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah it's, it is. That's what it was. It's just like it's obviously... I, I saw the trailer, and the poster went right over my head. Maybe that's just because I'm a man, I wouldn't realize. I, I don't know. Well, maybe that's why so many people are upset that it kind of made tricked of some, some people who wouldn't weren't expecting that message. But here's the thing is, you know, kids wouldn't see that message, you know, like if you're a kid and you don't really know everything about that stuff yet, like it's, it's going to go over here. It's the adults, the only ones who saw that. And I like, they only have to explain it if they 
feeling, mm-hmm. like, you know? So many people get, like, so bent out of shape over, like, what kids are exposed to, but I'm just, like, in the climate that the kids are living in in school every day, it's, like, learning about a natural thing like your period is not a scary thing to talk about. No, but it shouldn't be. Or a taboo. You know, wouldn't you rather hear from, wouldn't you rather tell your daughter about it or your son about it than hear it on a school bus or in school? Because that's where they're hearing about it. Mm -hmm. And they're not getting the right information. No. And it opens up the dialogue. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I think it was a very important movie. I think this will win Best Animated Feature. And uh, I'm glad you spoke about it on, you know, from a personal standpoint. I I think I can't really speak to that. But I will say as as, uh, just an animated movie, it's one of the best it especially pixar recently one of the best i've i've seen um the animation is fantastic and what i what i love about it is part of my problems with um computer animated movies is they often are trying to mimic reality so they're using the technology to try to make as realistic as possible animation which i feel like is defeating the entire point of the medium of animation it's about exaggeration of of emotions about exaggerated uh you know physicality and everything and i think this movie nails the animation um parts of it are kind of like anime almost um i know it's set in is it set in chinatown or is it set in some kind of i don't know i know the main characters are are asian so i think it was that was Pretty intentional, I think. Yeah. Right. But the actual animation itself is very anime-esque, like where it's like very exaggerated um, uh, gestures by the characters, things like that. So I thought the animation was just outstanding. Like it looks beautiful. I really liked it. And if this doesn't win Best Animated Picture, I'm going to be shocked. I agree 100%. It was also very funny, which a lot of Pixar's can be funny, but like this one was really funny. So I I appreciated that they, they didn't like get too serious with the subject material. I think we pretty much covered that, so I'm just going to move to the other animated film that I don't think is going to win, but was worth seeing, um, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. Mm-hmm. I hated the original from Disney. I, I think it's very traumatizing for a lot of kids because you're watching it and you're just you're like, what am I watching? Um, but this one, it's a very different story. There's similar, like the whales involved and stuff like that, but it's, it take, it's set in a completely different scenario for him. There's a war going on, and I just... Love the animation style. Not as much singing as a Disney film, but I thought it was better off for it. Um, so I do highly recommend that one as well. Yeah. I, uh, I'm i a huge Guillermo del Toro fan. Um, and this movie felt like the perfect blend between his movies, kind of like Pan's Labyrinth, which is one of my favorite movies ever. It felt like the kids' version of Pan's Labyrinth almost, where there's like this war going on in the background, but there's like a, a, a fantasy story kind of happening, you know, in this child's kind of world, you know, in her small bubble. So, yeah, I really I really liked it. I, I thought the stop-motion animation was pretty good, too. Um, but the story was, was great. Yeah, certainly the best Pinocchio movie to come out this year. There are multiple? I, I think yeah, Disney had the live-action Pinocchio that was an abomination. Tom Hanks, right? Mm-hmm. I heard it was a dumpster fire. It was, uh, if not the worst movie I saw this year, certainly in the bottom. Oh, I forgot. They both came out around the same time, yeah. right? And, yeah. Oh, yeah. I forgot that even came out. I never saw it because I'd rather see that one. But now I'd rather talk about The Whale. I don't want to talk about that yeah. anymore. Did either of you get the, a chance to yeah, watch The Whale? I love loved, The Whale. I saw I The Whale months ago. If Brendan Fraser doesn't win this award, the Academy's absolutely shot. Like, absolutely shot. Because... We riot. No, like, for real, though. He <laughs> was so 
good. The movie is set in one room and it follows a man who is um He's morbidly obese. He's morbidly obese. Yeah, he's really and he's homebound and he teaches school online. And um that the whole movie starts with that and then his daughter tries to reconnect with him like in his final days um of life. And it's just it's I mean, it's heavy and you leave it and you're like, Whoa, I go I need to go smile, I need to go do something light. But Brendan Fraser just absolutely knocked it out of the park. And seeing the bodysuit transformation that they just released on Instagram, I think like yesterday, I mean, the fact that he was wearing all of that and just gave such a convincing performance, it was unbelievable. Yeah, I, I was really impressed with the performance. Uh, I don't think he's a runaway going to be a success, but it's definitely one of the best performances of the, of the year. I think he has enough good credit built up with you know the hollywood that he'll probably they'll probably give it to him um but yeah it's a great performance it's a heartbreaking story you know the story more broadly is kind of all over the place darren aronofsky the director and writer he's kind of hit or miss for me more hit than miss this one i kind of found somewhere in between um but the performances are are really stellar i will mention hong chow she's not also nominated for supporting actress. She's the homemade, right? Yeah, she was unbelievable. She's great in it too. And so was the daughter Sadie Sink, who's from Stranger Things. Yes, yes. which I thought was really cool because I haven't seen her outside of that, and she played like that angry mean teenager so well. She, and, like, yeah. If you see her do press and interviews, like she's like the most like warm person. So it was really interesting seeing her do that. Yeah, and this uh, the whale's based off a play. And um, because the whole movie takes place, like you said, in the, in his apartment, I think I was thinking that I'm like, this would be a good play. And I found out afterwards that it was based on a play. And I guess the play ends on a very dark note. So they changed a lot of it for the movie. Not that the movie isn't dark. I didn't even realize it was in one room until the movie had ended. Like I was like, oh, wait, yeah, it was all in his apartment because it just it didn't feel like it. Like the way that they were able to have the camera move around the end environment and made you feel like you were going from all these different sets like it was just it was crazy did you uh are there any other movies that stood out to you this year um don't worry darling oh i like that one too i did like that did you see it i my boyfriend saw it and described the entire plot to me because he hated it so much he wouldn't let me see it (laughs) he said it was terrible i disagree i the only thing he liked was the transition reveal of harry styles if you know what i mean by yeah that, I don't want to um the movie basically follows this couple who lives in this town called victory where it's kind of like a perfect suburbia like set in the 1950s where like the men go to work every day and the women stay at home and they clean the house and they cook the dinner when the man comes home and it follows that it's kind of like a truman show Stefford wives-esque story um and then slowly the main character florence Pugh she begins to kind of see the reality that is being built around them kind of break down. And she's seeing that maybe it's not as perfect as it seems. And just from that, it kind of sounds like a generic, like, oh, like, what's the big twist going to be? I saw it at, like, a special screening because I'm a diehard Harry Styles fan, so I wanted to go see it. And I thought that the twist was, like, really, really well done. I did not see it coming. There were a lot of, like, little blips of images throughout the movie that, like, you're like, what does that mean? Why are they doing that? And like, definitely like certain sound effects and like little sound bites that were in it. Um, and then when you know, you're like, oh, that's why that happened. And I will say, Harry Styles was pretty was he was pretty good in it. 
Oscar worthy, definitely not, and that's why he didn't get nominated. Um, but I think for like his first leading role, I thought he was pretty good in it for yeah. not being an actor and mainly being a singer. I did feel like Florence Pugh was snubbed though because she was in every single scene and was just so good. And I think has she ever been nominated before? I feel like she hasn't, and I feel like she really should she be. She wasn't nominated for Little Women. Maybe she was. No, I, mean, I think she was. She was in. She's just such Midsummer. a talent. She was so good. But, she was in Midsummer. Yeah. yeah. But I wonder if maybe the all the controversy around the film yeah, led I, to them not nominating her because she had apparently had a terrible experience with the film, did not want to do any press with the film whatsoever, mm-hmm. kind of wanted to wash her hands of yeah, it. So I feel yeah. like that must have played a part in her not getting nominated at all. Yeah, because she didn't like the relationship between the director, Olivia Wilde, and Harry Styles. Yeah. And according to her, it was like a very toxic work environment. Um, other people have said it wasn't like that, but again, no one's going to know. Right. No one was there aside from the crew and all the and all the talent. Um, but I think taking that out of it, I feel like it was a really well-made movie. And I feel like it should have got nominated maybe for like production design or like makeup. And hairstyling, because they really nailed the, the 1950s look and feel to it. And um, the cinematographer is Matthew Lubatique, shot A Star is Born. Oh, yeah. And a couple other movies, and he's really talented. And I was very surprised he was not also nominated. I, I never heard anything bad about the performances, actually. It sounded more like the plot was where the problems were. And I, I don't know if you've seen things like The Stepford Wives. I felt like if you've seen films like that, you kind of already had a sense of where this film was going. Even from the trailer, I got that vibe. I was like, this reminds me of The Stepford Wives. So maybe for a lot of people, it was just like more of the same. Mm-hmm. It wasn't creative enough. But again, I didn't personally see it. I'm just yeah. going what I saw in the trailer and what I heard from people and like the sense I got from the whole thing. So I didn't see it. No, I didn't see it. Um, you, you mentioned cinematography. So the movie that that I want to talk about was nominated. It only got one nomination, and it was for cinematography. I personally think this might be the best movie of the year. I think this is a huge snub, but no one's talking about it. So I might I I might be wrong. I don't think I'm wrong, but I might be wrong. Uh, the movie is called Bardo. Have either any of you heard of it? I meant to say it's on Netflix. Um, it's directed by Alejandro Iñárritu who directed, he also wrote the movie, he directed um, Birdman, 21 Grams, oh, The Revenant, that's the other one I was thinking of. So he's won a bunch of Oscars uh, for, for for writing, directing, best picture, he's phenomenal, he's one of the best living directors right now. So this movie came out this year, it came went right to Netflix, it's a little weird and it's a little long, so I feel like it might have gotten passed over by uh, by viewers. This movie is so brilliant. It's very um, autobiographical, so it's about a Mexican um, documentarian who had success in America for many, many decades, actually, and is coming back to America, uh, to Mexico, rather, to kind of reconnect with his family and friends before he wins a big prestigious award back in America. So he's trying to, like, find his roots again um, because he's been, he's been, you know, exalted and is kind of raised as, like, a figure of... Mexican art, basically. So it's very autobiographical because that that's basically the story of Inyaritu, the the director. He had a very similar path. The movie kind of goes back and forth between these very poignant scenes, like of about family and and connection and things like that, and then it goes into these long kind of trippy dream sequences, which are shot 
beautifully. Like this is why the movie was nominated for best cinematography. It's it's the most visually stunning movie I've seen in a long time. This is like a movie that you would play like on mute and have it like in a restaurant, you know, like in the background or something. It, it's like so stunning to watch. It's a weird movie. It it, it goes into some heavy topics. Um, especially things that American audiences might not be familiar with. So part of the whole story is the character's trying to, you know, he's trying to, again, connect with his, like, Mexican roots. So he's trying to, he's grappling with, like, Mexican history. So in these dream sequences, he's kind of, like, reliving some, like, moments in Mexican history, like the the Mexican-American War and, like, Cortez coming and, like, all this stuff. And they're all shot in, like, these really trippy scenes. Uh, Anyways, the movie is beautiful. I recommend everyone see it, but I, I understand that it's not a movie for everybody. If you're like a film nerd, like this is like a movie for film nerds. So I, I don't know. I will probably like it because I like things that are shot really well. I think you will hate this movie. Really? Oh, yeah. This Even movie. though it's shot so well. Yes. Because I'm like a camera nerd. The first scene of this movie is trippy and weird. I'm just saying that like right out the gate. Okay. It, this is like a type of movie where it takes maybe an hour before you finally know what's going on. And this is like a three-hour movie. Oh. We, yeah. we know Sean can only make it to an hour before he gets out. <laughs> so, I, again, this is not a movie for everybody, but I really connected with this movie. I thought it was like just a triumph. It, as weird as it gets, if you can make it to the end, it all does come full circle and make sense in the end. So, I don't know. If that helps anybody kind of struggling with these kind of movies. Like, if you can get make it to the end, it does wrap up in the nice neat bow. So, I don't know. I just wanted to mention that movie. Cool. Yeah. That's all I got. Thank you all for joining me. That was a lot of fun. Um, I love talking about movies, and I love talking about movies with people who love talking about movies. So, this has been a lot of fun. And I hope we can do another episode after the Oscars so we can talk about all the snubs, flubs, and uh, maybe if there's another slap, we can talk about that. For sure. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it was a blast. I was honored. Oh. Hashtag blessed. Hashtag blessed. Blessed woman. All right, back to work. (laughs) 